0: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 12 of Creative Writing Podcast. On today's episode, we are going to wrap up a little bit with the man you were introduced to last week. Of course, we're going to have an awesome movie review. And as always, we're going to have some news from Honey Bun. Other than that, this may be just a rambling shit fest. Let's, Let's check it out and see what happens. All right, let's do this. I love when they dance and how they feel I love when my dog dances with me She jumps around and I see a flea And I pick it off and I make a sandwich What else can I rhyme with sandwich? All right. Well, last week we had the pleasure to sit down with the man, the myth, the legend from the great white Northeast, Chris sign from Waukesha, Wisconsin. We talked to Chris a little bit and I'm going to tell you, he and I talked for over two hours and obviously I can't play the whole thing, especially because a lot of it was my blib blab. So I would just, we, we didn't get to cover a couple things that I really wanted to touch on this week. I kind of want to leave his story open because I I definitely want to check back with him once the springtime comes, once he's got a couple races under his belt, see how he's doing. But also there might be some other shows that want to talk to him. So, hey, other shows out there. I am going to leave out what we talked about when we were discussing nitrous and nitrous setups and fuel maps and all that stuff or any real engine stuff, the engines that he's building right now, um, fabricating parts on his bike, what bikes he's owned, what bikes he had in the past, all that great stuff. Other shows, if you're out there and you want to delve into that, go for it. Uh, Something really important that we talked about was gear, and that's what I'd like to start off this last part of our interview with. So let's get right back to our interview with Chris Singsheim.
1: And, and luckily, you haven't had any get off. So that's, that's good so far. And hopefully, uh, since talking to me, I'm like the world's worst luck for myself. But I'm usually good luck for other people. So hopefully, I'm keeping fingers crossed that you know, coming up when you start the season, uh, hopefully nothing bad <laughs> goes down. Well, <laughs> so, good, job. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what type of gear are you using? I mean, that's a hell of a get off at you know even 100 miles an hour. So you know if you're if you're you're probably 16th, eighth of a mile, somewhere around there? Don't say in 60 feet. Mile. You're not doing 100.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, close. The, the first no 60 way. feet were pushed. Yeah. And the first 60 feet is about. We cover 60 feet from a dead stop in about 1.3 seconds, and we're doing uh-huh. about 50 at that point. Uh huh. And then at the eighth mile, so, eighth mile is 660 feet. Uh huh. So, that's about 140 ish miles an hour.
1: No kidding!
2: Oh my god! Yeah. So <laughs> well, that's to, rapid to figure out, oh, it's... It, yeah, it's the ride. <laughs> yeah, my god. So to figure out, like actual, like from like zero to 100 miles an hour, I would guess is probably roughly about 100 feet out. Yeah, yeah. And then after. After that, it's that it's now you're getting into a lot of wind resistance and just that more horsepower break the wind and just keep driving the yeah. wind and everything forward.
1: That's like where physics comes into play, and if you want to get faster, you gotta figure out how to overcome everything pushing against you. I think it's called terminal velocity when you hit you know the maximum That's amount exactly of air resistance right. against you right right. So now let's I guess let's get into the gear. Uh what keeps you safe at a hundred
2: and uh, you know, hundred and seventy miles an hour? Very minimal.
1: <laughs> a wetsuit and a novelty helmet. You know, you know
2: <laughs> it's it's not much more than that. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, the uh the suit that actually wears it's a drag specific suit made you know, you've probably heard of Bates Leathers. Oh yeah. Like I don't know if I should be name dropping or not, but no, man, you, you picked a, a good company. It's the best money I've ever spent on any piece of safety gear ever, hands down. They were at a uh, the IMS show in Chicago. They size you up like a seamstress, just boom, boom, boom. They're just banging out measurements, and they, they go back to the shop, and anything custom you want to change or add, they do it. And they ship you a complete custom-fit suit head-to-toe that fits like a pair of pajamas.
1: Wow. That's the way to do and it.
2: I can't express to people enough how much of a difference it makes being comfortable on the bike as opposed to wearing like this bulky like textile jacket and goofy leather pants that don't fit and cumbersome boots. Yeah, and you're you're not even comfortable to where you can actually like feel the bike or, you know, ride it safely. Your gear, yeah. you know, inhibiting you. Yeah, so
1: to, to be I, honest, I've seen some pictures of people and the suits looked big, like they were a little too they – weren't, they weren't too long. Maybe the person was tall, and so they weren't too long, but then they were too big because, you know, when they typically make bigger stuff, they make it for wider people, you know, or people that weigh more, and sure. I think this must have been a tall, skinny dude on a bike because everything fit lengthwise, but, I mean, he just had, like, folds and stuff where if he fell, it, it almost looked like the armor would, like, shift out of place, you know what I mean, and not be cool. – where they designed it and, to be if you hit the pavement and, and, and also you got to sure. figure there's some wind, even, even at that speed, if you're talking like any resistance, there's like little wind vortices that are going to get, yep. you know, on any ripple in your, in your suit or anything like that. They're just going to like, it's going to create like a non aerodynamic environment.
2: Basically, yeah. I guess Always. what I'm going to say. Yeah. Like the, the drag suit that there's not a ton of armor in it. Like there's, A double leather or double layer in like the knees and the elbows area. The whole trick behind a drag suit is for it to be kind of form fitting. Not only is it not flapping the breeze, but the drag strip is tacky. It's it's grippy. So if you were to come off the bike and you got a bunch of loose fitting gear, it will just. It'll wad up underneath you like a sticky rubber tire, and it'll make you tumble and flop and catapult you.
1: Right, and and then it'll put it'll stick, and and as your body moves through it, it, I mean, that's like double stress on the seams. Like, hell, it could probably rip, you know, rip open or something it'll, like that.
2: Yeah, I mean, you see, you see people go down with bad fitting gear where it actually takes their pants off.
1: Oh, geez, nobody wants to see but, that. <laughs>
2: no, that's a horrible sight. <laughs> but. Yeah, it's like to, to have a good fitting drag suit. The trick is that like when you hit the ground, you know, there's not a lot of turning going on. So a lot of times when someone goes down at the track, it's usually towards the starting line where the bike just goes over backwards on them, and they're not really it's a high speed thing. Yeah. Or a, a motor goes at say half track, they oil down the back tire and they lay it down. They you just want to be able to slide. Yeah. Like you might end up with some burns but you're you're gonna probably be okay, yeah, yeah but the road race suits with all the armor and stuff in them you've seen what high sides are, oh yeah, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that's that's why they have that armor compared to what we do we don't, we're not really in a situation where we high sides, so yeah, there's definitely there's you know the specific purpose for each set of gear, but the worst thing people can do is wear bad fitting gear if they do go mm-hmm. down, it's it they're gonna tumble and start breaking limbs.
1: Yeah, no kidding. So, and then your helmet, Um, I'm guessing just any, any, I don't know about reputable. I'm so cheap. I, I, I don't buy like the $99 stuff, but you know, I'm not buying, my coworkers all, you know, get like the $800 stuff and I'm like, no way. <laughs> I bought yeah. ours less than that. So, uh, the, what do you, uh, uh, what do you wear on your head?
2: The only thing the track looks for is a smell certification. Okay. So like, the, the current snow rating, I think it's, what are they, up to like 2010 or something like that?
1: The, the 2015 just went into effect in October, but the 2010 is okay, yeah. still,
2: still good for like five more years
1: or something like that.
2: If the tech guy even thinks to check it, that's the one thing they check for is just the snow rating. Yeah. But uh, as far as what I wear, I got a I got a Scorpion that's it's light. It's kind of cut high in the back so I can get down in the tuck and still tip my head back.
1: Right, right.
2: And that's—it's just my my track only helmet. It's lightweight. It's a little bit windy, but I like you were saying, like the high dollar helmet. I—is it really worth it? I, yeah. There's always that argument. People want to say that you know, your head's the most valuable thing, and you need to have that protection, but. They don't. They don't know my head. That's day. for
1: sure. Yeah, my head's probably worth fifty nine dollars. So I'm. I'm actually kind of overkill on these like
2: two hundred dollars helmets. For what I wear it for, it's bare bones features. Yeah. As long as it keeps my mush in, you know, encased. case <laughs> yeah. we're, we're pretty good.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. So yeah. No neck. No neck braces or anything like that. Then.
2: No. Uh, no. It's that. it's pretty bare bones. It's just. Uh, yeah. You know, you, you try to get a good fit and zip together suit. Uh, you know, helmet, helmet of your choice, and then gloves and good boots.
1: Yeah, man, that's it's simple. It sounds simple, and it's funny because it's like one of the the sports where you're going the fastest. You know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love laughing like an idiot at the end of stuff like that. So, thanks again, Chris, for the the wonderful interview. Um If you want to check him out, look him up, Chris Singsime, S-I-N-G-S-I-M-E, on Facebook. And uh, anywhere where the good web will take you. I think right now we should uh, get into a little bit of the news with Sweet Little Honey Buns.
3: In a few days, Victory Motorcycle Company is set to unveil its Octane, the bike will use the same motor that Don Canay ran up the hill at Pikes Peak, and we hope the bike is as stunning visually as the Project 156. The Octane is purported to be America's challenger for the V Max and XDFL in the power cruiser market. After seeing the new Victory V-Twins in action at the Super Prestigio and Del Mar races, we're hoping that the bike will come off the production line as swiftly as it does off of the starting line. With the Minx TT still about four months away, not much is going on around the island. That is until David Anderson and Matthew Hine decided to slam a Suzuki motor into a mobility scooter and run in the quarter mile. The Day Strider mobility scooter that would be lucky to hit 9 miles per hour with Grandma at the bars reached 107.6 miles per hour. That's fast enough to blow your false teeth out. Black brand motorcycle gear appeared on the radar recently when it emerged from the Tucker Rocky Biker's Choice hangar early this month. Less than a year in development, this new kid on the block promises to offer something for the cruiser retro crowd. Most of the product line is leather with a couple of textile pieces offered. The idea behind the new line of gear is to merge the segment of the market looking for affordability with the segment looking for quality and a brand image. The gear is reasonably priced with costs ranging from $300 to $700. The brand image appears to play more off of the cruiser crowd in my opinion. They have a generous range of fingerless gloves, chaps, and vests, some that offer concealed carry compartments, as well as half and three-quarter helmets. The women's jacket line is slightly cheeky with jacket names like Sheared Beaver and Wax Brazilian, defining their high fashion-inspired selections. The men's jackets are less titillating than names like Neanderthal, Killer, and Cutthroat. There are still refinements being made with women's armor and footwear being slated for production in the near future. You can catch them at the JMP Cycles booth at Daytona or on their website when it launches later in March. Although not entirely new, Speed Mob is now offering the Dion device for about $160. If you're not familiar with the Dion device, it's basically a protector for your brake lever and your ass. Watch any race footage from roughly, roughly 2 years ago and you'll see crashes instigated by accidental brake lever contact. The Dion device mounts on your bars and extends in front of your levers to prevent them from being actuated. It also doubles as a slider, protecting your master cylinders and rear sets in the case that you should fall. If you have your white belt and VON zipper goggles safely tucked away in your waxed cotton fanny pack, then this is not for you. If you want the same quality eye protection that has netted athletes' podium spots in every Supercross race this season, then try the 100% RaceCraft line of goggles. We are going to be in San Diego this weekend watching them perform in person. Peruse the new 2016 designs at www.ride100percent.com. And miscellaneous news. Last week, local news station KTLA reported that the CHP was investigating some claims of sabotage on roads that are popular with motorcycle and sports car enthusiasts. We are not sure exactly where the photographs that KTLA displayed were taken, but it has been reported on other credible sites that areas of the Mulholland Highway and Malibu Canyon were affected by the alleged acts. Some of the pictures look like they could be leaks from an accident or blown motor. Those interviewed by KTLA said that they believed they were an act of sabotage because the oil was in zigzag patterns, right on the riding line, or in large puddles right before entering a corner. Anyone familiar with the area knows that the nearby rock store is one of the most famous destinations for motorcyclists in Southern California. The Mulholland Highway is also considered to be the Los Angeles equivalent of Deals Gap, popular with both car and bike canyon carvers. If you have any information or see an unlawful act, contact the California Highway Patrol at 1-800-835-5247. Thank you.
0: All right, well, thank you very much to uh, our news correspondent, Honeybuns. For those of you that don't know, she stops by here every week to read the news just so that you don't have to hear my crappy, boring voice do it. And this week when she showed up, I could tell she didn't feel well. Uh, she said she felt like she was coming down with something, and she looked tired, and she still was a trooper and blasted through the news for us. So uh, we at Creative Writing Uh, Thank you very much for for doing what you do and and being a trooper. All right, guys, moving on, I want to tell you how excited I am to have discovered a new podcast. It is called The Two Enthusiasts Podcast, and it is put on by a gentleman named Jensen Beeler and his uh, sidekick, Clinton. And if you're not familiar with Jensen Beeler... He runs a blog, uh, dare I say, more of a credible motorsports, motor journalist news site, uh, called Asphalt and Rubber. Both professionally and uh, as an enthusiast, I I read Asphalt and Rubber. I read it for the news. I read it for, you know, breaking stories and general motorcycle information. And it reminds me of what my podcast could sound like if I was a pro. (laughs) These guys have years of industry experience and I'm not going to go over their bio. Listen to episode one. You'll be extremely surprised at who they are and you'll realize how they came to the realm of, of motorcycle journalism and are both enthusiasts and deep into the motorcycling scene. So go listen to their episode one and they'll talk about that. But yeah, it, it really, the thing I like about it is that they are able to, do what front end chatter does, which is reach into this deep well of knowledge and experience that they have. And they're able to speculate. And sometimes they get it right. Sometimes they don't. Um, you know, when they get it right there, it's genius, just like front end chatter. And and, and when they don't, you know, no big deal. Uh, I I tend to like take stuff at face value. I like to do what, what I can see. I like to do what's already out there. Uh, I might say what's coming down the pipeline if I know what's coming down the pipeline, but I don't know, maybe I've done it in the past and I'm making an ass of myself now, but speculation isn't really my strong point. And when people show me something, a new technology, I say, wow, that's cool. Uh, here's how it works. You know, I like to find out exactly how it works or how, um, how the function, it relates to motorcycling and, and the way you ride or, or what it does for you. And they're really good at speculating on, on these new technologies that might come out. They've even guessed as to what the, the new Ducati 410 would it be a thumper? Would it be a twin? And they, ha- they've had experience with Ducati and they kind of figured it would be a twin. So, I mean, just weird little things like that, where they're really good at, at gleaning this, this possi- possible information. And, um, Putting that out there for you instead of just uh, rehashing what's already out there, uh, like I do so one one thing that just has blown my mind about listening to this, and they only have a few more episodes than I do, so i'm kind of cra- I've cram listened and kind of gone on a binge fest here, uh, cramming it down as, much, as many as I can in the shortest amount of time as possible, and already I'm about halfway through, and they've talked about much of the stuff that I've talked about which means I'm drinking the right Kool-Aid. I'm just uh, drinking it after everybody else has, I guess. And the funny thing is, as I did not even know that this existed until this week. And I maybe I'd seen it when I looked at Asphalt and Rubber and seen down on the side, look at the podcast, but I, I, I hadn't even listened to it. So it blows my mind uh, listening to some of their, the things that they talk about. And it, it's exactly what I said, only they've they've dove a little bit deeper. They They, they deep went into financing and how that affects you know how ge capital selling off their assets to wells fargo affects you as a motorcyclist i mean stuff like that that you don't think of and that's the stuff i love that's why i kind of wanted to start a podcast because everybody else just talks about what you know gear this and bikes that and blah blah they don't uh, a lot of times i've noticed that uh, Things miss out on the the backstory of stuff. Hell, I talked about lactobacillus and how that could make you a better motorcyclist because it improves brain function. You know what I mean? Calms you down. So weird shit like that. And they do they do that. So it really, really, really made me uh like jump out of my skin when they started talking about CITS in uh, I believe it's their sixth or seventh episode. They started talking about CITS. They started talking about the Yamaha riding robot, which I didn't really talk about because it wasn't a big deal to me, but when I listened to how, I mean, I've seen stuff on it, it's really creepy, but when I listened to, to them talk about the potential that it has, I realized I totally missed out on that, and I, I didn't see it for what it was, and so I, I want to talk about that for a second. Before I jump into the CITS thing, though, uh, I just want to say give them a listen, and a uh, big shout-out to those guys for doing what they do and knowing what they know, and uh, hopefully I can deliver you some stuff as smart as they can. Uh, that whole sentence didn't even make sense. That just, it made me sound stupider, and you probably lost a couple of IQ points for having listened to that. So without further ado, I'd like to jump into uh, the title of this show is, do we need more police? And the reason it being is because it, listening to them talk about CITS made me think about the things I didn't mention about it. So let's let's get into this. Let's jump in here. Okay, if you go back to episode number four called SITS I-M-S-T-G-O, I I talked about SITS first, and right in the beginning of that segment, I said, let's talk about What's coming down the future, and then I said, No, 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 no. let's not get into the future. I kind of wanted to focus on how it's being used now, you know what I mean, and the things that it is actually doing right now. And then at the end of that uh segment, like the same segment, I said, You know, in the future, when cars are driving themselves and we're just little wieners flying around, uh, on motorcycles, you know, and and so I kind of referenced the future twice. And what they did is they did too. They, they, they really deep dove. I I had talked and talked about it, but it was getting boring and I, I didn't want you guys to fall asleep. So I edited all my shit out. And then I listened to their episode and I'm going, oh my God, this is like what I missed. This is what I didn't do. And so it just, like, my brain just caught on fire. I realized I had to retell this. Um, from my perspective, if you don't go over there and listen to their stuff, it's sort of along the same lines. Now, I think uh, even before episode four, I had mentioned that um, when I'm driving in the car with my wife, she hates traffic, and I've, I always tell her, you know, someday— you'll be able to go to sleep and your car will drive you wherever you want to go. Cause you know, we, we, not a lot of our friends live in LA. Uh, so we're driving out of town a lot when we go visit them and traffic out of LA. I mean, traffic in Southern California in general is a piece of shit anymore no matter where you go. But LA has always been known since probably like the seventies as like really bad traffic because of population density here. And, Getting out of L.A., especially on a Friday, has always been a nightmare. And then add to that equation the fact that we had two kids, and uh, they're at the age now where they can get super bored in the car after 15 minutes. And, you know, what you would like to do is just fall asleep and have the car drive itself and not have to worry about all the stuff going on around you, right? Or just be able to, like, hang out with your kids and talk to them and entertain them. Maybe read a book. Maybe get some work done. Have your car drive you down. And right now we have cars that can park themselves. We have cars that can drive off into the parking garage and park themselves. And I kind of touched on that in the my episode four where I was talking about, you know, parking garages use CITS. I, I partially meant that they use vehicle to infrastructure to calc- to, to show that you've been, you're in the garage. Your car is, in fact, in here, you know, if you need to know where it is. But I also, I, I guess I should have fleshed that point out that, when your car is self parking on valet mode, um, it's using CITS obviously. And it's using, um, V 2 V at some point, you know, so it was just, it's so great. And the reason I actually should call this, uh, segment, do we need more police? And then as a subtitle, can motorcycling bring peace to the world (laughs) or something stupid like that? So let me try to start at the top and trickle my way down here. So the whole reason I said, can motorcycling bring peace to the world is because I was just introduced the other day. This is an old story, but uh, it's new to me. That One of the ugliest bikes I've ever seen out of the Yamaha stable was called the Root. And what happened was last year, uh, Yamaha got its motorcycle division and its instrument division together. And Yamaha has been making pianos since like 1887. And they, the tuning forks represent the tuning fork emblem that Yamaha uses represents tuning. Well, when they started making motorcycles, apparently they decided that tuning ha- is as much of bringing uh, an instrument into harmonic resonance as it is about bringing multiple parts together in harmonic resonance to make something that you ride or something that you create sound with. So last year they had their uh, music department build a motorcycle and they had their motorcycle division or their, their, you know, power sports division build an instrument. And the thing that came out of it was called the root. And it was a pretty, oh my God, uh, hipster tastic would be the first word that comes to my mind. Cause it's totally, to me, it looks totally stupid. looks like some crappy hoverboard made out of wood, which I've seen a lot of motorcycles being made out of wood nowadays. Hovering over this basically chassis and the parts on it look like some of them could have been made from musical instruments. The point was the I forget who the guy is and what his name is, but he's like the Yamaha director of operations or something like that. And he was saying that when we all come together in harmony and do this maybe by reaching across these divisions within our company to see what it's like for the other side to create these things. What we're doing is we're doing what we should be doing in the world. We're reaching across boundaries. We're reaching across uh, borders, I guess, you know, and, and across cultures and whatnot and across, because if you think of music culture versus moto culture, you know, some, in some places they connect, but other places they don't. So he's saying, if we did what we're doing within our company worldwide, we would be, uh, creating world peace you know so on top of how this all links to cits and and do we need more police is that well okay so by riding a motorcycle and embracing this sort of like reach across all boundaries especially for yamaha uh maybe if we all had that mindset the world would be a more peaceful place well definitely yamaha bmw and honda have already signed on to this uh, cits thing as part of a global uh, vehicle awareness and and whatnot. And uh, oddly enough, I was going to title this episode The the Technosode because I was kind of going to dive into uh, IMUs and noise restriction guidelines and motorcycle laws by state and all that sort of stuff and so once again listening to these few first few episodes of uh the two enthusiasts podcast they start talking about all this stuff and i could not believe it and it's just so it's it's one of those things where when your head you know when it's like deja vu but it's really you know it's real this time you know what i mean so this it's just crazy i feel like i'm riding this uh sine wave of thought or something so so anyway yeah yamaha's uh Guys, little hippie hippie thing there about making the world a safer place. Uh, directly um, links to CITS because Yamaha is part of that coalition that's trying to get CITS integrated into motorcycles and BMW. I mean, obviously they're like always at the leading edge of technology. Uh, they're like the first of everything and. With all their ABS and traction control, and I was thinking about how Yamaha and BMW and Ducati and I want to say KTM have these new IMUs. like that was the big uh, catchphrase at last uh, the I, at the IMS in 2014-15, I think was IMUs. All these bikes came out with IMUs. And what IMU is, it's an inertial um, movements unit. No, what is it? It's an inertial measurement unit. And they've got all these uh, different axes that they can measure on. And when you're talking about traction control and ABS, there's always been these little sensors down on the wheels, and they're speed sensors, basically. And when they detect that your wheel stops spinning, what they do is they release the brake. They modulate it with the ABS modulator. Well, now that SITS is coming on board, um, and this is something that Front End Chatter mentioned, and I was started to talk about in episode four and I just never finished it because it was it would take it would have taken the whole episode to deep dive it. So here's part two of episode four I guess. <laughs> and and how it all relates to, to what they said. Um so yeah, you've got these um all of these different sensors and these IMUs now that can measure your your roll, your pitch, your vertical acceleration, your lateral acceleration, and your side to side acceleration along with roll and pitch and yaw, which basically if you're going for if you're headed forward, you're moving in a straight line, if you were to like drift slightly and you're still going straight, like any time you see a car drifting or a motorcycle drifting, they're still headed straight, but if you were to have laser pointers like pointing out of the headlights, the laser pointer would be pointing off to the right or the left slightly. Of the direction that the vehicle was still traveling, and that's that's yaw basically. And in another sense, it's kind of like the roll on a motorcycle. Um, it's laterally is in a like a ninety degree vertical axis, left to right, and yaw would be more or less the roll and pitch. And we already have. In uh, bikes that have traction control and ABS, and of course BMW on the S1000RR was the first one to have race modes and and race ABS and dynamic rain modes and wheelie. They called it wheelie control, and now I don't know what they call it, uh but it's it's all part of this IMU. The reason I wanted to deep dive IMUs in this episode is because I was talking to somebody at the IMS about it. I was talking to the Kawasaki rep, who's basically like. Kawasaki's version of what I do for a living and um we were interested about how they work because it can't just be algorithms on a chip I think he had talked to somebody at at, um, Yamaha and they were saying that it's like a membrane that goes over um because obviously IMUs have been around for a long time in planes and and guided missiles and things like that but they used um more or less a bigger. Gyroscopic sort of thing that had like physical parts to it, and when you get it down, when you look at these Bosch IMUs that they're using, they're, they're they look just like you know a map sensor or something. They're really tiny, and I think that he uh, told me that they it's that's how they do it. Is they have a membrane over it, and the membrane sort of um, is like the most mechanical part of the whole thing, and it it goes in there and it can determine which way what's happening and this and that. So here's where my experience cuts out. I know how this stuff. I basically it's put together, and I know like what it is and how it works in theory, but I've never ridden these uh, a bike with it. I've, hell, I don't even think I've ridden a bike with ABS that I can recall off the top of my head. And the guys over the two wheels, Jensen and Clinton, are saying that you know what? Uh, if you hate ABS now, if you're one of those Luddite guys that hates ABS now, and and don't you don't like traction control and ABS and all that stuff. I forget what his exact words were, but it was something like your future is bleak because they were talking about sits and, um, how (laughs) all of this stuff that I've just mentioned, ABS and IMUs and, and, uh, you know, control units and sensors and all that stuff. It really, uh, translates right over to CITS because those are the input sensors that it gives to the uh, what's going to basically be the, the, uh, CITS modules. And, uh, this is where I uh, edited out of my podcast and they talked about in theirs is that in the future, (laughs) get it back, back to the future. Um, what's going to happen is that you are going to perhaps, uh, have your brakes get modulated by the ABS modulator, because it's going to receive a signal from the sent from the, uh, whatever sensor they have that is given a v to v um input you know what i mean and i i i did talk about that when you're going down the street like even right now they can do this when you're going down the street say you're in the city or at a blind corner or something like that and your car is approaching at speed x and the v to v sensor uh Detects another car approaching at speed x. What it can do is tell your car, "Hey, this car's coming in. It's not slowing down." Or it can tell both cars, "Hey, there's another car here." And right now, they have those accident avoid- avoidance systems where the camera sees a car if you're backing up and you're not putting on the brakes. But the camera sees an object. It doesn't have to be a car; just any object—baby on a kid on his bike, woman pushing a stroller, whatnot. You know. It'll it'll apply your brakes and as right now it's a luxury, but I think I mentioned that this year and next year these changes are going to be sort of like airbags, where they become a, a mandatory safety feature. And you know, not to get too far off topic and get out of the CITS thing right now, but coming, but you know, mandatory safety is eventually going to be uh, mandatory driving self. You know automated vehicles so okay to get back to the cits so yeah you know cars can tell each other right now uh, they have the capability to say that there's another car here there's a car here and right now they're working on being able to determine that neither of you is putting on your brakes and they're gonna apply the brakes to both cars for safety and maybe not you know obviously not lock them up because every car has abs now but uh maybe apply the brakes and they can even apply a certain amount you know a certain amount of brake uh maybe they could apply apply 80% of the brake and you know they have f- the the cops use cars that trap people inside and they can shut them off I mean, I know they do that remotely but they st- the the components are there for them to do that even if it's triggered by a remote so what's the difference by replacing the person pushing the button with the sensor you know what i mean so there's things that, that that you can do with cars right now that you've been able to do for 10 years that people just kind of take for granted and don't think about that are coming down the pipeline. And another thing that they mentioned was, you know, pretty soon that's what's heading as most of the vehicle. I know I said this. I know I said that most of the technology from cars is translating over to bikes. And... The more cars get, the more that's going to translate over. So, I mean, it is just a matter of time. And they did such a, a great job. I'm, I'm not really good. I get a little uh, space brain. I'm not like a linear brain. I'm super spatial. So when I start thinking of something, who knows where it's going to turn off and go. So they, they did a really good linear job of heading down this pathway of kind of describing how CITS would work they didn't really link it with IMUs and ABS in, in, in a direct way, but they, they I think they talked about them all in the same episode. So you can kind of see it's all under the same umbrella, under the same rain cloud here. They all fit uh, into one, and... And so, yeah, that's, it just blew my mind thinking, dude, uh, this is like a passion for me for whatever reason. I don't even have, I don't even like that stuff per se. And so I guess I'm one of the guys that he was describing saying your, your future is going to be bleak, but they did make a good point since they have the experience riding bikes with these technologies on them. Uh, the IMUs and the ABS and traction control and, uh, rider modes and rain modes and this and that, they are able to eloquently describe how it feels when the traction control comes on when the abs is working and uh i forget i think it was the clinton guy that said um basically when you're on your friend's bike and you're getting into a corner too hot and all of a sudden you're getting spark cut and brakes modulated for you in a fashion that doesn't dump it because i've dumped my friend's bike one time, squeezing a handful of brake in a a corner. And um, you low side, you high side. And they were just describing how this stuff comes on and saves your butt. And so it's not necessarily a bad thing. And I know there are people – I'm not really anti-ABS and all this stuff. I guess what I do is I see the writing on the wall, and I think that, you know what, I don't want to lose my choice and my freedoms. I'm kind of starting to see the other side of the helmet law where I know the AMA – endorses everybody wearing a helmet, but if you make it illegal, it, then everything becomes illegal and then their freedoms are gone, you know, and then it's just easier for them to throw one more thing on. I kind of see the same sort of thing with CITS and, and all these safety features coming on because you can still out drive and out ride the safety features. That's for sure. But the more and more that they get added on and the more uh, people, want to make the choice for you and not give you the choice, then that's just one step closer that we are becoming to automated driving vehicles. And we won't have any input. And something that they mentioned was that he would like to be, uh, have this v to v stuff. You know, you get up behind a guy in a Prius. I don't know why they were picking on Priuses. They're not the slowest cars out there, but, Uh, you know, and maybe the Prius V2V says, Hey, there's a guy, there's a car coming up behind you, and it moves him over. How great would that be? But what's more likely is that it will tell your car you're approaching a car that's doing X speed, you're going to slow down to X speed to avoid a collision. And what I didn't get into with the V2I, which is the vehicle to infrastructure, is that you're going to be passing speed limit signs. We don't even theoretically need. Uh, speed limit signs, like we need cash money, you know, we have little credit cards with zeros and ones on them that tell us how much number is in our bank. We don't really need physical coins anymore, but we why do we like it? Because it makes us feel human, right? Same thing with speed limit signs, stop signs, intersections, all this stuff could go away with V2V and autonomous uh, driving vehicles because... Who needs a sign that says only drive uh, 65 if there's like a pole implanted into the ground that has a sensor on it, and it's emitting signals out to cars that limits their uh, power output to 65 miles per hour? Of course, everything's going digital, and even if it's not digital, don't tell me you don't have an old car that uh, before all this digital shit came on board that didn't already have cruise control, you know, ABS, all, there's, you don't need a, a bunch of computer and stuff to do, make all this stuff possible. I mean, this technology has been out there for years and years and years. So we've been able to regulate the speed of a car via a governor. Hell, I I drove an old moving truck that wouldn't let you drive over 65 because the company didn't want tickets probably on their vehicle, even though I know the ticket goes to the driver. They could put mechanical governors on back then. So same sort of thing, only with technology. And what's going to happen is instead of like, You being able to haul ass everywhere, we're just going to be like an old um, cartoon. If you're looking or like maybe an old video game or something, when you look at from above... Like a bird's eye view, and you just see a line of cars moving, similar to Frogger, I guess, where they're all moving the same speed with the same amount of space in between them. That's what CITS can do in the future, and what autonomous driving vehicles can do in the future, and what all of this technology that's leaking over motorcycles can do in the future. It can it can apply your brakes for you. Um, hackers, uh, part. I, I don't know if I mentioned this. Um, I know I did mention. The e the the car to car or the vehicle to vehicle consortium communication consortium or whatever the hell that organization was that I that I mentioned in episode four they it's not just this technology it's also guidelines that they have to follow uh, regarding safety because uh, somebody at MIT I think hacked into a Corvette's brakes and said yeah you could slam on somebody's brakes if you can hack in because cars are wireless now uh, you know you can make. Pressing the gas pedal sent a wireless signal to the throttle body uh, actuator, and, you know, a lot of, and most everything is going to, to ride by wire now. Harleys do it. You know? If you're th- thinking of an old classic bike that hasn't changed since the 50s, you're wrong a lot of the Harleys have throttle sensors. And when you look at the throttle body, there's no pulley anymore. There is an actuator on there that gets the signal. There's no direct connection anymore. And so if you don't think that you could hack into these systems, you're wrong. So part of CITS is also getting the security infrastructure down, getting the bandwidth down. I mean, it's almost like running this whole... You have the internet, and it's almost like running an internet on top of the internet, you know? And it has to be even more secure because we're talking about human bodies in these things. And we're talking about vehicles not crashing into each other by relying on these things. And so, I mean, there's a lot to it. So I was just, I was super glad to hear them talking about it. Um, I know I mentioned a couple side points and I'm not taking notes. I should be taking notes to get back to those side points. But, um, I know that, uh, I had mentioned when we're all just moving seats in in episode four and that's kind of what they alluded to. And I, 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 do, I see their point of, you know, you can really hang it out on a motorcycle nowadays and not crash, um, because of all these safety features and in the future, Hey, you know, you'll be able to do the same thing, but it will also, I guess, save your ass if you don't react fast enough. Um, to branch off of that, what I did want to mention too is how things could work. And and I I totally edited this out of my uh, podcast when I, when I recorded it, um, because it's kind of deep diving and it's kind of boring, but here we go. Uh, prepare to be bored. So when you're entering a V to I, you're entering an intersection. And like I said before, it can tell the car, it can tell two multiple cars, Hey, you know, you're coming at this rate. You're coming at this rate. Here's how somebody has said, I, uh, road smart roads i mean this is so far off because of all the infrastructure you have to develop but smart roads aren't too far-fetched where you're coming into an intersection at 56 miles per hour and you're uh 800 feet out another car is coming in at 43 miles per hour and he is 900 feet out uh, going back to what I said about how we don't need speed limit signs anymore or stoplights or even intersections, it can tell basically both cars will be sending a signal, which is kind of like a server a signal to a server when you do like an internet request and you want a page from a website or something and you send like a, a, a request. I don't know exactly how internet and shit works, but you, your car will send a request to that stoplight saying, here's my distance away. Here's my, you know, basically my velocity and my point of entry, yada yada. The other car will send that too. And even though this sounds scary as shit, computers don't care. You could you could both not stop at all if if the server there in the intersection decides that you two will avoid hitting each other by x amount of feet, you know, x margin, and you two could just fly right through. No need for a red light for one of you to wait. No need for stop signs. Nothing like that. And you could potentially do that with. Hundreds of cars at once. Uh, uh, the busiest intersection you could think of in your city could just be a car going basically like, how do I describe it? Like knitting or weaving or uh, anything that involves like cross hatching. You know, when you watch a marching band and there's two lines and they just start walking toward each other at like a 90-degree angle, and you're like, oh, my God, they're going to just smash into this big pile, but they pass through each other one by one by one by one. The tubas and the bass drums all go right by each other without even as much as a touch. You can see some uh, motorcycle police brigades do this, like at stunt shows, where, yeah, 90-degree lines. they will be like five lines, five deep, and they're just going, and it's almost like watching two armies Go toward one spot and then they just pass through each other effortlessly right without even missing a step and and that's humans can do that think of what a computer can do looking at all these cars all these little units around you know they could even adjust for a city bus or a semi they can adjust for all this shit and they can do it and basically it's all the vehicle to vehicle meshing with the vehicle to infrastructure it'll be able to do uh, exactly that and It's because it'll be able to modulate your brakes. It'll be able to speed you up since you don't, you know, there's no direct link from your foot to the uh, throttle body anymore. There doesn't need to be, you know, the computer doesn't doesn't need to be from your brain to the throttle body anymore. The computer brain can figure all this shit out. And autonomous driving vehicles uh, don't have to be four-wheeled. They can also be two-wheeled. And going off of that, they mentioned the Yamaha robot. And that's how that <laughs> kind of segues into uh, CITS and, and autonomous vehicles, and where I really missed the mark. I didn't really think much of that robot. Haha, <laughs> a cool new gimmick. We've seen robots that, like the cheetah and the robotic kangaroo, and there's some that look like dogs or something. i seen this guy kick kick one, and it stumbled around. It looked like a deer. Like the, the legs were long and spindly, and it literally looked like a deer that had slipped on some rocks when he went over and kicked it, and, and it it got its balance and got back up. I saw him do it to a a human, a humanoid robot, kicked him. The humanoid robot, like put its arms out and wiggled its feet and got its balance. And it was standing on like rocks or something. And, uh, I saw one actually walking through the jungle. Now they had the, uh, wires hooked up to it for power and for, you know, forward, backward, whatever, you know, whichever direction they want it to go. But as far as like making it step and balance, they weren't doing that It's doing it all on its own. And, I really underestimated the segue when they said, here's a new technology that's going to revolutionize the way humans travel. And I thought, yeah, it's going to make humans lazy and fat. But what I didn't think about was that it's going to also put this gyroscopic slash IMU element into robotics and into robotic travel. And, you know, it really, it's going to change the way things work. Now, what does a robot have to do with car and getting back to my bigger thing, do we need police and world peace and all that shit? Well, here's the deal. Uh Now that we have a robot that if you watch the Yamaha autonomous robot, it basically tells Valentina Rossi, "I'm coming after you." Uh in more words than that. But what what the guys over at uh Asphalt and Rubber Made a point of is that you know what? This robot right now it looks like something the Mythbusters could do with a bunch of servos and, and on a remote control, but really what this thing is doing is it's learning. And it, who my brain went way out on this and said, you know what? We have self driving vehicles, we'll have self driving motorcycles. Uh, who needs racing anymore? Who needs humans anymore? You know, like that's that's way far thinking. I mean, that's kind of stupid thinking since humans do program robots and stuff. But why, why are we obsoleting ourselves? And, you know, that takes me back to the original Luddites were uh, kind of scared of being obsoleted. And, I mean, uh, apparently it hasn't happened yet. And there's lots of books that have been written in this century um, and in the last century being 1900 to 2000 about, uh, androids, people going, you know, becoming obsolete and this, it's like, we're scared of it as a human. And there's actually, I forget the, uh, automanophobia or automophobia or something. There's actually a a human uh, condition that is afraid of, you know, uh, humanoid things taking over our place in this life. And it really kind of, I mean, this is getting way out there, but you do realize that we don't need ourselves for anything anymore and that's why i wanted to call this episode do we need more police because as humans become obsolete we're gonna have to figure out things for us to do already since the 70s and i dare i say like the 60s robotics has replaced humans on some level and we're getting more and more machines you know we we need to make more money so what we need to do is not hire as many people so we need to get a machine to come in and fill what could have been done by ten people is now done by this machine, and sure, it's thirty-five thousand dollars. But our factory is going to make that in one month now because of this new production rate. Um, uh, I think they touched on this, but Amazon and Google. Uh, How long has Google been working on an autonomous car now? And Amazon is working on this drone technology to deliver shit to houses and to deliver shit to you. Well, who needs to hire a human to deliver things anymore? Uber? If you have a self-driving car, everything is an Uber, you know? Like, it doesn't even matter what color cars are anymore. We could just be driving around in a bunch of white boxes that are all... Uh, 16 feet long for X amount of people, 20 feet long for cargo. You know what I mean? Like we'll just, we'll keep going up and, and everything will look the same. It'll be like the worst 1984 George Wellian thing you could ever think of. But some of that shit has already happened, you know, and we, we don't seem to be going backwards to revolt against it too hard at any rate. So I don't think, you know, I think the future is coming on and for those of us that enjoy our freedoms and stuff now, we see these new technologies and half of us view them as safety and half of us view them as like an end to (laughs) freedom and uh, an extreme amount, like, I know I said it, but I don't really think, you know, an end to humanity or whatever. But the thing is, is that the, the Yamaha guy who I don't know who the operating officer or whatever the hell he was that was talking about, you know, if we can reach across these borders within our company and create these things, maybe we can do it as a global entity and create world peace. And, then transitioning that into, well, look what else we've done at Yamaha, we made this autonomous robot and we're working with the IMUs and we're working with this uh, CITS consortium with BMW and Honda and, and that's just motorcycles. All the car manufacturers are doing it. All these different large countries are doing it. Well, eventually in like 20 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, um, think back to 1916 we were we were in world war one something that we still read about and it's still pretty fresh in our minds at least uh, as a you know as in many cultures um you know you uh, germans not so much americans but you know we're world war Two and on but you know you 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 ask a lot of uh, european cultures and, and world war one still uh, affects some of the way that societies and cultures think so think back to 1916 and right now it's 2016. A hundred years is not that long. You know what I mean? It, it's longer than you'll live if you're listening to this now, but, uh, and maybe not. I mean, the way medicine is coming, that's, that's my point is like with all this autonomous shit coming on, we, some of you guys may live to see some of this shit come to come to life. But, but do we need more police? Because what is going to happen to humans? Are we are we really, um, obsoleting ourselves. And if we are like, there's already people fighting unemployment and there's already like right now the economy is not doing as good as we were hoping it would do. And it took a shit in like 2007 and eight, we've had eight good years of, a. we really have had a bull market when we probably shouldn't have interest rates have remained like super low and, and still hasn't stimulated shit back up to where we thought it would be. So, you know, that's eight years. That's, that's one tenth about roughly let 's just call it one tenth because two more years i don 't think things are going to drastically change one tenth of a decade right there uh, down the drain, and so you have nine more opportunities to get shit in order and if you 're like me, uh, the last decade flew by i can 't even tell you what I did uh, you know that was very significant and so in tw- in another ten years, do I think i 'm going to all of a sudden like do something great? Uh, no, I'm probably going to buy a car that has all this, uh, shit in it. that's slightly autonomous. And you know, when that shit starts coming on the market, I think they're trying to get it into cars by 2020, which means motorcycles too. So four more years, guys, we're going to be, when I replace my car, it'll be with one that can probably drive itself. And so basically, do we need more police because there's going to be less employment? There's going to be more people like outraged. Are we going to see like more wars is something as small as this the guy at yamaha's vision for reaching across company borders to make people more integrated across what they do and can we spread that out globally is that what's going to be holding us together is motorcycling going to be the thing that holds us together like not necessarily motorcycling as as a lifestyle or as a industry or anything like that but just just the concept that this guy put out there as You know, as one guy trying to do something within a company and it just happened to be with motorcycles and music instruments Is that going to be the future in you know, like I said 50 years even or I just I don't know And it's kind of creepy and freaky to think about and it's kind of creepy and freaky to think about that we probably don't pay attention to any of the shit in our daily lives, but Do you have a bike that has ABS on it? Do you have a bike that has traction control or an IMU, you know, these Bosch units where they're doing it for safety? Do you have a car that's like getting ultra geared up for safety to save humans and save us? Because what are you saving us for just so that, you know, more machines can come and do stuff for us? And... (laughs) they made this great joke and this is kind of why I love them so much is because they do they do shit like I do they were talking about how this is just like Terminator and they went there and that's kind of what I'm doing right now like saying you know in a hundred years is is this what's going to be a human wasteland where the ultra rich you know survive and the rest of us are just like uh, as much of a machine as the machines we drive around in. And I don't know. But my, the whole thing of do we need more police is just makes me think that. When we're heading towards something that puts people out of work, which puts people out of money, which puts people out of food, that puts people in danger. And so something as little and weird as making vehicles more safe for us and as for making life, uh, uh, improving our quality of life on one hand is decreasing it on the other hand. I don't know. I've gone on for a fucking long time. So I'm going to wrap it up here. We're going to get to a movie review before this day is done, my friends. So let's, let's get off of this, like what started out with CITS and blown up into fucking Terminator 3 and uh, move on to something more meaningful for this day and age, which is uh, actually going back about 40 years, uh, ironically enough. All right, here's our movie review. Alrighty, everybody, welcome to 1974 Northville, Michigan. Yeah, this is Northville Cemetery Massacre. I was first introduced to this film back in episode three Meat Horse versus Iron Horse. When I posed the question, Do you like the term biker? Would you like to be called a biker? And then I went on to name a few of the bike exploitation films, let's call them, of the 60s and 70s. I would say that after doing these reviews now for a few episodes that the 70s was a heyday for exploitation films. Uh when I was younger I used to watch a lot of black exploitation films and you know they've always had I, the the thing for me is that I can't couldn't determine whether these are campy or whether they really were exploitation films because Obviously, uh, you know I was not a film connoisseur in the '70s, and um, I don't. When you look at a movie, sometimes it's hard to decide whether it is, is meant to be um, serious or not. And I mean, I guess all films were meant to be serious. I, I'm not quite sure when the B movie came into. Into play here. I know I've seen a lot of 80s B movies, maybe late 70s B movies. Uh, My friend used to collect a lot of uh, movies and we would sit around and have big parties where we just watched crappy movies similar to MST3K. And so for me, sometimes it's hard to figure out is this supposed to be a bike exploitation film? Is this supposed to be a serious film? And after reading some of the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes for Northville Cemetery Massacre, I have to say, some people. Uh, think of this film as a credible vehicle for like some social commentary against freedom I have to tell you that I think this is a campy piece of crap and uh, sure every, every freaking movie with bikers in it is either versus the man or versus you know society and I guess that's like what being a biker kind of originated from but yeah, it's it's one of those things that gets lost in translation when you try to show it on in in a film that's not a documentary. And even documentaries take a, a specific point of view. So when you try to make something like this that uh has terrible production value and like little to no plot. Well, let me back up on that. It's got a plot, but they really uh, get from point A to point B quite uh I would say creatively. (laughs) So basically, let's run down the the synopsis of this movie. I'm going to follow Chris Dewars' advice and just kind of get to it. So, uh, Biker Gang rolls through town the first scene is them helping out this old couple. And at first you see this old couple like scared by all these bikers approaching and they mob the old couple's car. And it's kind of like from the old couple's point of view, they see all these bikers surrounding their car that has a flat tire. Well, the next thing you know, the bikers are fixing the tire and they're on their way. So, I mean, right off the bat, you kind of get the the feeling that this film is going to not be anti-biker. This film is going to be anti-man, anti-society. So as the film rolls on, That's exactly what happens. I will not go into details because, you know, maybe you want to watch this for yourself and it would take me 20 minutes to explain how crappy this thing really is. So I'll just give you some highlights here. Well, plot point highlight is a bike gang, which is a real bike gang, by the way, they were called the, uh, in the movie, they're called the Spirits. And uh, I forget what the hell they're called it in real life, but it's a real biker gang from somewhere near Detroit. I, I'm taking it that Northville is was somewhere near Detroit. So yeah, this biker gang, which, uh, like I said, is an actual biker gang. So take take that what you from that what you will about the acting quality in this movie. Yeah, it's like a bunch of raunchy bikers trying to be funny for the camera and just being stupid playing grab ass and all this shit out to party. Don't want to get hassled by the man, but just want to like roam freely across America. And they get uh, blamed for a rape that they did not commit. And actually what turns out is the sheriff committed the rape and now he's got the townspeople after these bikers. So yay for him. One thing I'd like to say Is this movie, again, has a lot of dudes uh, with no shirts on? No, not quite as many as the last one did. But what I do like about this movie is... I like about all these 70s movies, is that the boobies were just, like, natural. And the bodies were natural. They weren't these, like, crazy, fluffed-up Hollywood crap you see today. Even in a B-movie nowadays, uh, I think you'd be hard-pressed to see some, like, really natural-looking people. So... In the very beginning, you you do get to see a little bit of booby. Good for boobies. Um, You get to see some bikers in tight pants, so good for the ladies, too. So this movie just devolves from there. The bikers end up being hunted. And there's lots of Nazi paraphernalia in this movie, uh, which I don't really dig. And to be honest, growing up as a kid, uh, I did experience some of that with the club that was down the street from me. yeah, for some reason they really, for from the Hells Angels being supposedly born out of like a, a, a bomber squadron or whatever, a fighter squadron from maybe it was World War II, to going on, you know, fighting the the Axis powers to go on to collect like all this Nazi stuff and like embrace it later. I don't know. It just didn't really bode well. Yeah. Uh, for me as a kid. And it's still, you know, you see it in this movie and it made me feel like, Hey, this is kind of authentic. This is probably their clubhouse that it's being filmed at, but here's this really nice biker gang helping these old people. And they're not, not to blame, but they're a bunch of Nazis, you know, I, I don't know. So anyway, uh, yeah, they end up being hunted, uh, a la the most dangerous game. If you've ever read that short story, So let's knock out some of the highlights here. Well, one of the first highlights is a dude with a skunk hat. That's always a classic biker movie, you know, piece of apparel. The natural naked boobies that we see from the victim of the film... Uh, I'd like to say the fact that you're not going to see any of these people in any other film. And Nick Nolte was credited in later on IMDb. He's credited as being in this film and I can't tell you where he is. I didn't see him and I didn't even see his name in the credits of the film. So I don't know why for whatever reason, Nick Nolte gets credit for being in this film when I don't think he actually is anywhere. Even he's not like even a gaffer or anything. Uh, the fact that one of the best parts, actually, is the uh, they meet up with the road agents MC, and it you know it shows you that the MCs were like working kind of toler- in on tolerable terms back then. They they were working with each other, but the the the, um, the <laughs> i would mean, they're not fight scenes, but the scenes where they're getting attacked is the best because they're getting shot from like sniper fire. Okay. Uh, There's an old white dude that's hunted every sort of big game and now he's going after Biker because that's the biggest game of all, right? And a similarity between this movie and Black Angels is that The beginning, like, makes zero sense. I have a feeling that, like, all of these movies didn't really make sense even when they were filming them. They they just kind of went with it, and they kind of fell into it later, or they fired the guy. They're like, dude, this movie is going shit. We've already gone gone through X amount of film, and we can't afford to lose anymore, so, like, get somebody to get on this thing. So, I I don't know how these movies were filmed or how, you know, I couldn't tell you, like, how the production went on them, but it seemed, like, both movies uh, that I recently watched got better as they go on like the production value gets a little better the audio kind of syncs up a little better and in this one uh the northfield cemetery massacre I actually have to say the special effects are pretty good i would watch all of the action scenes being the like bikers being hunted scenes the special effects are really good um one of the other key highlights is when they visit some crazy old war dude uh to get there, get some guns, and he gives them a couple grenades, and he says, "Hey, I'll give you all these guns for free to protect the American uh, way and the Second Amendment, but you're gonna have to buy these grenades outright because I can't be responsible for them." So that's pretty funny, and the fact that this guy has a fucking submarine periscope coming from his bunker out into like the little lawn gnome—it just cracks me up. Uh, The fact that you see a helicopter in this, and this is 1974, and they've got uh, a little helicopter that looks kind of like 90s, you know? I was really surprised that it didn't look like one of those old bubble-style helicopters. I mean, I guess, you know, 1974 is just a stone's throw from 1980, so um, it's not like it was 1954, so I don't know. It just kind of shocked me that the helicopter design has not changed that much uh, since the mid-70s. Nothing else really is redeeming about this movie, and there's really no other highlights except for the fact that, you know, their guys are on some... Pretty real custom choppers And they're always playing grab ass Every time they're driving So that was probably real And it's funny to watch how many times They almost eat shit During those like candid traveling scenes And really this movie is like Some really shallow plot with a bunch of candid road scenes sprinkled throughout and that's basically what most 1970s bike exploitation films are that's why i'm saying the production value it didn't cost much you just go hang out with these guys and film them doing stupid shit that makes no sense for the plot and like for life like why would you even do this in real life yes i know you're doing it right now but A, it makes zero sense for a human being to act in this manner. And B, it has nothing to do with the movie. But what the hell, we got to fill like an hour and a half. (gasps) Oh my God, it's just like this podcast. (laughs) Also just like this podcast, the movie had its own music scored for it. There's a part where this guy is driving up in a semi... And there's a song playing about this guy driving up in a semi. And I was just thinking who the fuck sat down and wrote music for each scene of this movie and the music's terrible. The music in in Black Angels was terrible. Every piece of music that I've listened to in these movies is terrible because they didn't have licenses. I'm sure you had to pay ASCAP and you know, just like you do nowadays to play music legally on your YouTube site or on your show or anything like that. I'm sure you had to do the same thing back then. And these guys couldn't afford that on these like be up below B, be, but be, uh, Movies, you know, the budgets were like minimal. So, some dude actually sat in and scored this movie for them, uh, scene by scene, apparently, because there's just like a song for every situation, you know, guy in a skunk hat, blam, 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 blam. We're rocking on the guy in the skunk hat, you know, whatever. So, I can't believe that they actually had, you know, specific music for this movie which just blows my mind they probably paid the minstrel in beer i'm guessing another bright spot is when this man who drives a semi pulls over to help the bikers and he sees one of them's broke down and he says hey man i have a honda and i don't know like 125 wheelie popper and you know what the dude on the harley doesn't give him guff for it and You know, a 125 back then... This is an adult man saying he rides a 125. Nowadays that's unheard of. You're not manly unless you drive like at least a, or ride at least a 600 or even on the dirt, you know, if you're riding anything less than a 450, even though a lot of motocross champions ride 250s and 350s, you know, it was just, it really does showcase what a different time this was when 125s is what you cruised around on and popped wheelies on. And when you told the dude on the Harley that you had a Honda and maybe you could help him out, he didn't turn his nose up at you and go back to his law practice you know for his twenty thousand dollar bagger he was just like yeah man that's cool he probably had a honda too that he cruised around on so different times different times i digress i, I didn't want to spend uh, too much time on this and i think it's about 10 minutes which is good enough for an hour and a half movie about nothing all right hope you've enjoyed this movie review Well, Aussie Chris, if it's not totally obvious, I kind of messed up there, and I only went on about 10 minutes, but it sure felt like a half an hour on that movie review. So uh, let's get on to the end of the show here. I've wasted enough of your time. Let's get on with what's coming up in the world of motorcycling. A lot of stuff's happening now that the snow is starting to thaw off of some parts of America. Last weekend, I was down in Del Mar for what else? The flat track racing put on by Ivy League flat track. And I just want to say that um, coming up now is the Southern California Flat Track Association out at Paris. They are starting their season. or If they haven't already started it, there's a lot of stuff coming up uh, soon. Uh, Jared Meese and uh, Nikki Hayden were spotted recently in California doing a little flat track. And uh, Nikki Hayden, a lot of people talking about you doing the mile, brother, getting that grand slam, becoming uh, what would have been the grand champion back in the day when you used to have to do motocross road racing and flat track. So that'd be cool to see you do something like that this year as you make your transition to World Superbike. And this weekend, me and the fam, we're going to be down in San Diego for the uh, Supercross, So that ought to be fun. I'm not going to be periscoping that or anything. So there's enough coverage of that already. So check that out. And then uh, here's a couple more things that are happening in the world of motorcycling. All right. If you're in Timonium, Maryland, this weekend, the 12th to the 14th, is the Timonium Motorcycle Show. A big one for hipsters is happening this weekend in Portland, Oregon. The One Motorcycle Show. Happening, and I believe they're featuring some flat track. They're probably going to have lots of cool beards and sparks and lots of coffee. Uh, Another one happening, like I said, on Saturday in San Diego is the Monster Energy Supercross. In Syracuse, New York, despite the frigid temperatures, on the 13th and 14th, there's going to be the Syracuse Super Swap and Cycle Expo. Birmingham, Alabama is going to see the Amsoil AMA Arena Cross on the 13th and 14th. The Iron and Clematis Show is going to take place, I want to say, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And check out Steve Grosso from the Cafe Racer podcast Apparently he's going to be one of the hosts or one of the presenters this year or the the MC. I am not 100%. That's going to be in West Palm Beach, by the way. This one sounds kind of nasty, but in Sobieski, Wisconsin, the second annual Racers Rail and Grilled Chili Cookoff and Meat Raffle. Don't ask me what a meat raffle is, but get up there to check it out. Coming up later in February, I believe this is going to be next weekend after this show goes live, is the Mama Tried Motorcycle Show. That's going to be just outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Check out one of the guys we've been following, Noise Cycles. He is from down here. I believe he's in Garden Grove or Anaheim. I think he's taken the same bike that he rode at the Del Mar event, uh, and he rode at the Hell on Wheels steeplechase event, and I think he's just thrown some studded tires and made like a little fender fabbed up a front like, you know, spike protector for it. And I think he's going to take that thing out and flog it there on the lake in Michigan. So keep an eye on him and check him out. I know you're not going to really believe this, but there are still IMS shows going on across the nation. And the Progressive International Motorcycle Show Phoenix is scheduled to kick off on February 20th. And it says the 21st. I can't believe that it's only a two-day event, but uh says so here. Also kicking off on the 20th, 20th and 21st in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania is the Motorama. And this thing kind of struck me because it's a uh, indoor, I think they said they have a million square feet of arena space and what they have there is they have a lot of rc stuff they have rc demolition derby rc racing rc drifting for all you rc car fanatics they also have supercross or i'm sorry they also have arena cross and they feature uh, motorcycles and quads then they have some go-kart racing and they have they don't race these, but they have a lot of sprint cars and, you know, dirt cars, NASCAR uh, series cars, and a lot of off-road trucks. Plus, they have tuner wars. So, there's a lot of stuff going on in this complex over the course of the weekend. Um, I think he said, like, 60,000 people show up, which is, you know, that's that's good for if you're in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, because that means that it's basically empty. So, Go check that out. That sounds like it sh- should be a lot of fun and it's uh, totally a legit family thing and doesn't look like it's going to be too loud. So that looked like something that was kind of cool. Uh, in poly Pulli- I, I always get this wrong. I can never say this right. Puyallup, Washington, there's going to be some indoor flat track racing that takes place in the Paul Hamas Arena at the Western Washington Fairgrounds, I guess. Yeah, Western Washington Fairgrounds. And, uh, that's happening on the 20th. Amsoil Arena Cross kicks off in Tampa, Florida on the 20th and 21st. The Devil Dolls MC is celebrating their, basically, anniversary party. That's going to be at Pissed Off Pete's at 4528 Mission Street in San Francisco. Check them out at devildollsmc.com on the interwebs. Um... Let me see what's happening locally around me. All right, around me stuff that's coming up is the Hell on Wheels just added a Grand National March 13th at Paris. Um, they're going to do flat track in the morning and TT in the evening. And I wanted to tell you something. I read on the uh, SF, SCF, the Southern California Flat Tracker Association. Uh, had posted something recently about noise limits, and it's apparently going to be... It's not just for them because they they race at this uh, facility. It's going to be for anybody that wants to use that facility. Uh, Before you do any of this hell-on-wheel stuff, you might want to make sure your bike doesn't have some honking fucking exhaust on it because... Uh, it's not just them it's it's the community that they're in is cracking down on noise so yeah before you do anything at paris uh check out your exhaust and make sure everything you're gonna have to basically pass tech in order to race so don't go out there with some fucking brat monster that's so loud that you know you think you're awesome because people can hear you from when you're on the five they can hear you on the 91 you know what i mean uh so yeah don't don't uh, do that crazy shit. Um, ch- uh, but anyway, check out this H- Hell on Wheels event that's coming up. Just make sure you're, you're going to pass tech. Um, m- the Moto Chop Shop is going to have a ride on February 27th. They're going to meet at Gasolina Cafe, which is uh, on Ventura Boulevard in Woodland Hills, California. And if you're not sure where Woodland Hills is, it's kind of over like by Winnetka. And if you're not sure where like Winnetka is, it's kind of over by Calabasas. And if you're not sure where Cal- uh, anyway, just check it out. Uh, either, either look up Gasolina Cafe or look up Moto Chop Shop. Our buddy down in San Diego at uh, Trophy Motorcycles, they're going to have an open house party on the 20th from 2 to 5 at the new location at uh, 3849 Gain Street, so not El Cajon Boulevard anymore. And that's going to happen, uh, like I said, February 20th. And then the 21st from 10 to 2 at Trophy is going to be a vintage motorcycle parts swap meet. So go check that out. Go check out their new digs. Come back the next day for some new parts. And I I think that's all I want to cover as far as events. I want to plug my friends last so that you remember. And before I forget, I meant to mention this before. A big shout out to my friend. Uh, please check out yetibuilt.com that's yeti-built.com he's been a family friend since he was in junior high and he has he's the guy that got me into the automotive industry and he is doing his own thing he has transitioned from motorcycles to cars and now he's doing the off-road adventure thing the overland stuff and Check out yetibuilt.com. He has, it's a little pricey, but he's got a bike hauler that slides into your uh, hitch receiver. And it's pretty tits. You got to check that thing out. It's handmade. All the stuff he makes is handmade. Uh, If you're into ADV, you're especially going to want to check him out. He goes to all of the the gun shows and the overland travel stuff and meetups and all the Jeep and stuff. I mean, he does it all. So go support him, please. Yeti-built.com. And I think that's going to do it for our show. It's running a little bit longer than I thought it was, uh, thanks to the rant supplied to me today by the Two Enthusiasts podcast. I think right now it's time for our sorry list. Oh boy, take a deep breath We've got a lot here Chris Singsheim Thank you buddy for talking with me a couple weeks ago And making this show a knockout Sorry to nitrous oxide Sorry to terminal velocity Sorry to wetsuits and novelty helmets Sorry to Bates leathers IMS Chicago, we're sorry Goofy leather pants, we're equally as sorry The Snell rating, we're Sorry miss l also known as honey buns thank you for coming and doing the news even though you felt sick i could have had my wife or kids do it thank you so much for doing it despite the fact that you look like you're knocking on death's door we are sorry victory octane we are sorry don can we're sorry pike's peak we're sorry the 156 we are sorry the L, we are sorry vmax we're sorry delmar and ivy league flat track we're sorry super prestigio we're sorry manx tt we're sorry david anderson we're sorry matthew Hine, we're sorry the little mobility scooter that you raced we're sorry false teeth we're sorry black brand motorcycle gear we're sorry shaved beaver pelt made jackets we are sorry waxed whatever they call their waxed brazilian jackets we're sorry tucker rocky and barker's choice we're sorry J&P Cycles, we're sorry Daytona Bike Week, we're sorry We're sorry we didn't mention you in our upcoming events But you know what, you're still a little ways away Speed Mob, we're sorry Dion Device, we are sorry Vaughn Zipper, we're sorry 100% and all the athletes that you sponsor We are sorry San Diego, we're sorry KTLA, we're sorry Mulholland Highway, we're sorry The California Highway Patrol, we're sorry malibu canyon we're sorry the rock store we are sorry los angeles we're sorry deals gap sorry the two enthusiast podcast thank you so much for providing us fodder to chew and spit out in a, a so much more ridiculous way than you guys presented we're sorry jensen beeler and quentin wilson not clinton miller whatever the hell i called you Ducati, we're sorry. Kool-Aid, we're sorry. Podcasts in general, we're sorry. GE Capital, we're sorry. Wells Fargo, we're sorry. Lactobacillus, we're sorry. CITS, we are sorry. Yamaha's riding robot, Mythbusters, my wife and parking garages, we're sorry. Yamaha, the Root motorcycle, we are sorry. BMW, Honda, Ducati, KTM, the... IMU or inertial measurement unit and all of the things that go into the car to car consortium committee, whatever. We are sorry. Akihiro Nagaya, the head of motorcycle design. I am sorry I couldn't remember your name and I'm sorry you made the route. It looks disgusting. Bosch, we are sorry. Kawasaki, we're sorry. Again, IMUs made by Bosch. We are sorry. Toyota Prius, we're sorry. Frogger, we are sorry. Harley Davidson, we're sorry. Google, Amazon, Uber, and anyone who's going to fly a drone or make an autonomous car in the future, we're sorry. George Orwell, we're sorry. And most of all, Hell's Angels, we're sorry. Hope you've enjoyed this week's show, folks. As usual, you can find us on the Twitter at creative underscore writer. Find us on Tumblr at creative Find us on Facebook.com forward slash creative writing podcast. Find us on the web at creative writing.com. Uh, Where else can we be found? I don't know. You can find us under a rock or riding around the uh, greater metropolitan area of Los Angeles. And if you've got a good mind on your shoulders, don't come back. But if you are crazy as all get out, please come back and enjoy our show next week. Leave us a review on iTunes. We've never said that before, but go ahead and just do it. Be the first one and email us. That's what I'm missing. Email us at creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com, please, please. And as always, keep your taint above the paint. Have a good week. Holy shit, hang on, because this is cool. happening, The happened. The...
2: I'll never badmouth road racing, guys.
0: 125 wheelie popper.
2: I,
1: I'm not even going to ask about costs because that's between you and, and your bank account. But uh, that's cool. The, the, the suit, the suit. That's
2: cool. The,
1: the, the suit, the
0: suit. That's cool. Guy in a skunk head.
1: This is Dan. I just called to see if you're up. I figured you wouldn't be a piece of shit.